This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Eric Brown talks about Fathers Matter. When and how did we become a nation that allowed for absent fathers? What effect does it have on their children? What can our culture do? Well, let's find out. Eric is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, George Tolman. I'll now get into our interview, which I am looking forward to because I am a psychologist by training. The guy in front of me is, is, is a true, legit counselor psychologist here. I'm just, a, I'm just a school psychologist. Still legit, but not maybe not as much here. And we're going to talk about the psychological effects of absent fatherhood. So we're going to dork out a little bit here. We have Eric Brown in studio. Eric Brown graduated from Franciscan University in Steubenville with a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology, and afterward he graduated with a Master of Science in Clinical Psychology from Fort Hay State University. He currently works as a psychologist three at Larned State Hospital. He's a member of Prince of Peace Church in Great Bend, and Eric is married to, to Jacqueline, and they have two sons, Anthony and Justin. But Eric, it's good to see you again. It's good to see you, George. So let's go ahead and talk about this aspect of the psychological effects of absent fatherhood. And I will say just from my own psychological perspective here that uh, our field has a tough time talking about this and, in fact, does its best to avoid it at times. You can still find the literature, and it's, and it's, and it's there, but you got to dig a little deeper than usual because, like I said, it's not something that they like to bring up. Mm-hmm. So with that said, Eric, first of all, let's define what, absent father is, what, what an absent father is for the purpose of this talk. Well, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm having struggling with allergies, so I hope I sound okay. Oh, you sound great. Great. And I'm going to say this. When uh, my wife asked me who was interviewing me, I said it's going to be George, and she said, oh, boy, two psychologists. <laughs> so she has the burden of being married to one, so <laughs> she knows what it's like living with a psychologist. Um, well, I wanted to de- – there's many ways you can define an absent father, and so I wanted to go through several of those, maybe give a little tidbits about them, and then really focus in on one or two of those for, th- for this, this uh, interview. The first one is probably the most obvious that people think of, which is uh, the, the passing away of a father. Um, and that does have, as it would for anybody, have effects. It has effects on adults, children, you know, children, adults. Um, and so for children, it would definitely have an effect. But those effects seem to be a lot less potent than um, some of these other ways we're going to talk about. Another um, fatherlessness that sometimes we don't really think of is a father who's actually in the home, but he does not take up the fatherly role, um, whether that's because he chooses not to and just rejects it, because maybe he sees his role as just a breadwinner, so he just spends all his time at work and, and comes home, eats, sleeps, and then that's all he does. But some of us maybe just really don't have the skills or the ability to do it as, as they could. I'm going to choose my language here as carefully as I can because there is what's called a correlation. So it does not mean this is causing it, but it means there's a relationship. So when one variable goes increases, another one will increase, but it's not a causing. It's just there's a, there's a relationship. There's many other variables that will interact with each other that could be causing it. But there it does seem to be a link between this type of fatherhood, who is this father in the home but doesn't take up the fatherly role, is not emotionally there for their for their children, and this is in particular for, for boys, 
and uh, homosexuality. Again, this is not a causation, but there's there's this relationship. The more distant a father is, the more it seems that this can happen. Um, however, again, the fact that it's not causing, I know somebody, and you all may know somebody who is homosexual, who has a very good relationship with their father. And so again, many other factors and variables interact with that. So just remember, it's, there's some relationship, but it's not causing it. Uh, a third way that we can have an absent father is obviously through through uh, divorce, and um, we have a lot to say about that. Another one is called uh, you know, abandonment, and this is kind of the classic uh, mom and kids go away to visit grandma and grandpa for a weekend. They come home and dad's gone, and his stuff is gone, and they don't know where he went, and he's just gone. And that is, we'll talk more about that. And then the last one is a father who just is never present. He was there to reproduce, and that was it. Commonly referred to, I actually looked up, just to make sure I was using the right word, on a website called Urban Dictionary. If you ever go on that, tread lightly. But it, it, um, <laughs> but it is, uh, it's kind of just very um, common uses of language. Sometimes it can be a little, little rough on there. But people refer to them as their baby daddies. And this is a, a man who did the sexual act with a woman, and that was about it. Uh, maybe they were together for a while, and he just left or they broke up, and he really doesn't have much involvement. So for this talk, I really wanted to focus on divorce and abandonment, which I'll kind of put together as, as one. And even there, you have to be careful because there's different types of relationships between divorced husbands and wives. The more, what's a good word? The more better that relationship is between the husband and the wife for the sake of the kids usually things go better for the children. And then those who were, were just never present, or what I call the baby daddies, and what the research I found calls out-of-wedlock births, and that we'll also focus on that one. Yeah. When I was doing more uh, family therapy, I saw that a lot, where we had thing, things on the outside look like this is a pretty well-together family, but the more you dig in, the more you see there's some real issues between the, the father taking the role, or um, I saw a lot of, like, extreme differences in how they're disciplining the children and so um there's just there's just a lot of uh i think if i had a theme for this talk it'd be fathers matter and yes. i think that's that's the most important thing we can yes. we can absolutely we can realize absolutely so let's go to our our next point here eric how do we become a culture where a father's absence in the family is not an unusual occurrence well, like a lot of things, it, it, it's, especially when we talk about relationships, is a fairly complex situation. Um, and so there's, I found um, two kind of, we'll, we'll kind of work with first, how did divorce become so regular in our in our culture? There was a time in our, not too long ago, that divorce was a, a more rare thing. And so in 1969, California actually became the first state to legalize no-fault divorce. Before then, you had to have a reason, and most people called it the, the, the three A's. Had to have a, a, adultery, addiction, or abuse. And you had to prove that in the court, and then you could get, get a divorce. 1969, now you can divorce for whatever reasons you want to. And there really doesn't need to be a reason. And it's interesting, a little fact I found out, the first country to legalize no-fault divorce was actually the USSR. Soon after the October Revolution, where the communists took over, they were the first country to do it. And it just reaffirms the prophecy of Our Lady of Fatima that if Russia was not consecrated to her immaculate heart, it would spread its errors. And boy, did it. 
in America, the, the divorce rate boomed in the 1970s. And it's actually slowly declined since then. And in the last few years, it's actually been at the, the lowest rate since the 1970s. But I think that's kind of a false statistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the reason I think that is the increase of cohabitation. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that I was listening to a, a homily by Father Fred Gadget, who said he had read an article, and I have no reason to doubt him, that there were more cohabitating couples in America than there were married couples. And I'm sure that's only increased since then. Yeah. And so what the statistics probably are not capturing is how many people are living together and breaking up and then going on to live with someone else and breaking up. And all of those. And so if we have less people marrying, we're going to have less divorce. And so I think it's actually a very false statistic. Yeah. No, and I would, I would, I would validate there that there, Eric, I don't have this, the stats in front mm-hmm. of me, but that's, that's the argument from some is that, oh, yeah, divor- divorce rates are, are at, are at a, a relative low, and so therefore we should be all celebrating. No, 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 we're not celebrating a darn thing because you look at those individuals, especially in the last 10, 15 years at mm-hmm. least, and what they have said basically in the studies is I've seen the divorce of my parents and what that caused, or, or from a societal construct, I am not going to make that mistake. I'm not going to get married. However, mm-hmm. I still want to have some kind of intimate relationship with someone, and so therefore we are going to live together, not have the marriage take, marriage mm-hmm. take on us because I don't want to be divorced. Again, it's a backwards right, logic, right. you know, but nonetheless, that's what's happening. So whenever, again, folks, whenever someone says, well, divorce, you know, recently I read that divorce is, you know, you know, one of its lowest since the 1960s. Again, caution that as what Eric wisely said, and that that's more of a, a facade than than the truth there. So anyway, sorry. No, absolutely right. I think, um, and it's interesting because those who cohabitate are actually more likely to divorce when they finally marry. So it's it's this backwards thinking, I think, that our culture is in, that the, the idea is I'm going to be really prepared, like you said, George, for I don't get divorced by practicing, making sure we, we, we fit, making sure everything's okay, then we'll get married. But actually, that ends up making you more likely to divorce because you don't because from the beginning, you're having this idea that I can always leave whenever I want. And then you get married and you then you want to leave and then you just get a divorce. So I, I, I think, again, God's way is the right way. And, and so we all do all these different ways to kind of uh, circumvent that and think we're smarter than him. But really, we aren't. So that was divorce. So let's look at out of wedlock births. How is it what happened in our country where that was a very. It was never that that never happened, but it was, it was much less than, than what it is today. And it was not looked upon kind of with, with some shame. Now it's just the norm. So how did that happen? And I read a very interesting uh, article from the Brookings Institute that argued, and it actually a lot of the statistics and, and the numbers fell in with this uh, argument, that what happened was what they called a reproductive technology shock that hit our country which, meaning the availability and the normalization of using contraception, plus with the legalization of abortion, started decreasing social construct. I'm using a lot of big words here. That's why I went to school, everybody, so I can sound sound good. (laughs) That was the idea of shotgun weddings. So a shotgun wedding, if you don't know what that was, is two people, a man and woman, were dating together, courting. Um, The man got uh, the woman pregnant. And then the dad of the of the of the woman comes with a shotgun and says, "You're going to marry my daughter now." And so they get married, you know, at the end of a shotgun barrel. And so that was something that happening a lot more, and almost sometimes was agreed upon between the the man and the woman. Okay, we'll engage in this extramarital activities, but if something happens, I, we'll get married. 
And so with contraception and abortion, that, those shotgun weddings are almost non-existent anymore. And they believe that is because of, first you had the contraception, so you didn't have, supposedly you didn't have to worry about getting pregnant. And if you did, well, you can just go get it, get it aborted. And also a, another factor in that is it really decreased the responsibility of the man. Now that the man is kind of taken out of the equation almost in the, in the decision making, he's here to be with this woman. And if the woman doesn't want to use contraception, well, then it's on her. She must want a baby. And if she does get pregnant and doesn't want to get it aborted, well, that's her responsibility. The man thinks, I never wanted a baby, so I don't need to t worry about this. She must want to because she's not, one, using contraception or two, getting abortion. And so it, it really has harmed women. As much as they want to say, our culture wants to say it's freed women, but it's really just enslaved them. Mm -hmm. Which if we think about Genesis chapter 3, we continue to see this, this happening over and over again. If you're not sure what Genesis 3 is about, there's, there's a, a couple of verses there. This is about after the fall and something that God says to Adam and Eve of uh, the consequence of this sin is that the woman will long for the man, whereas a man will just dominate the woman. And I think we see that so much in our society, whether we realize it or not, um, women are totally sexualized in our culture. And they're doing that for the man. So the woman yep. is longing for the man's man, and the man continues to dominate. The Catholic Church has a very distinct teaching and a very way of, of making that more equal, if you wanted to say, where, where we d dignify the woman instead of just trying men do, at least in the Catholic Church, they're doing it right, um, instead of enslaving the woman. Yep, yep, you got it. Let's move forward a little bit here, mm -hmm. Eric. Does the father have an impact on cognitive development? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, as I was reading some of the research, uh, it was just some of it was just stunning. So the first thing I would say is, both men and women, children of of these um, fatherless homes, really have a lost sense of identity. And so this is a little bit complicated, and I'll try my best to make it not so. And so really, identity starts to come with very early on, even from the moment a human is born. Their brain is learning, and they are constantly surveying their environment, taking it in and learning about it. And so what's very, very important when first out of the womb is something called attachment. So I'll give you a little definition of that. Attachment is the tendency of human infants and animals to become emotionally close to certain individuals and to be calm and soothed while in their presence. So kind of an everyday example, if you think of a baby, the baby cries, mom or dad go tend to it. They realize, oh, he's hungry. We feed the baby. Baby cries, oh, the baby has a wet diaper. They're uncomfortable. We change it. And the baby learns over time that mom and dad are these people who will soothe me, will take care of my needs, which then teaches the infant the world is a safe place, is a secure place, and then I don't need to worry about my basic survivals. I can kind of start to grow. I can kind of start to interact with my environment. I don't have to worry about where I'm going to get fed, who's going to keep me warm. All of that's going to be taken care of. And that's the, the basis of what we call a secure attachment. So as, as the, the child gets a little older, they start to do something that's called differentiation. This is a big term for what we see every day with toddlers. Um, I'll give you a little definition here. Differentiation of self is a term that describes the ability for an individual to detach from their caregivers while remaining in emotional contact. So think of a toddler who's able to walk 18 months, two years old, 
And if you, the parents are there and they're interacting with a larger group of people, you'll see that toddler toddle out, maybe interact with somebody, and then quickly return to mom or dad. They'll kind of hang with mom and dad for a little bit and go back out, interact, come back. So they're starting to be able to realize they're their own person. They can do what they want. They can go away from mom or dad and still be okay. But when things get a little anxious or overwhelming, I go back to mom and dad where I feel secure and happy again. I kind of reset and I can go back out and try into the world again. What we see with people, um, with kids who are fatherless, there tends to be a real, something is broken there because we all want to know where we came from. We all want to have an idea that who our mom and who our dad is helps us define who we are. Yet somewhere there's this dad who's out there who I don't know and I don't, I can't interact with. And you sort of lose your ability to, you want to attach to them, but then also differentiate from them. You want to be able to say, I have this dad who cares for me and I can kind of, with that secure base, go out into the world. And so many times the, the child who is missing this attachment to their father will try to find substitutes. And as they get older, that becomes even more devastating. Attachment really is so important. It kind of sets the base for everything as, as, a, as a person, a human being is, is growing. If that attachment goes wrong, it take, it's a lot of work to help that get back to normal. And so also while these children are trying to find these fatherly attachment substitutes, they tend to have a, they're, they're missing some socialization with their peers because they're so busy trying to find someone they can attach to, they can end up being socially isolated. Um, become overly dependent and react, tend to have a reaction, emotionally react to situations instead of maybe using some reason. We see this in families who are not well differentiated. The emotions be, that show up in one person tend to show up in the, in the child. So if mom has an emotional reaction, so does the child at the same time. This, these emotions just kind of go right back and forth between them as if they're kind of the same person because they haven't been able to separate from each other. And so um, that's the first thing. And I think that's going to be the basis, I think, of all the other issues that we're going to see is still this, this, this inability to attach or missing attachment. It made me think about uh, what I read about what the difference between where if you have a two-parent household between just a one-parent household. Kids from a two-parent household tend to have a lot more self-control, and that usually comes from the dad. And I can speak to in my own family. I'm probably more of the disciplinarian with the kids. Um, I'm definitely tend to be a little bit more stricter with them, and I have uh, stronger expectations. Not that Jackie doesn't, but I think just as my role as a father is there are rules that need to be followed, and if there are not, there are consequences. And I think that's more of the fatherly way. The motherly way is a little more emotional. They are a little more understanding sometimes, and they kind of want to talk it out, and I, I do that too. But there's a that's kind of the, the womanly way. So you see the complementary, like you were saying. You see understanding emotions, how I process that tends to be with the mom a lot and the father is self-control how do I manage myself how do I think rationally through my frustration and my anger Um, and so if you're missing that as we're going to see more uh, in our talk things just go haywire we need to take a short break right now but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio we'll be right back with more from Eric Brown on Fathers Matter We're back on One Body Stewarding God's Creation. 
Fathers Matter. One body, stewarding God's creation. With Eric Brown. One body, one body. George Toman conducts the interview. One body, stewarding God's creation. Talking to Eric Brown here, and let's keep going, my friend. Mm-hmm. What are the emotional effects on both sons and daughters when the father is absent? The first thing, and, and you might think of this as being, well, maybe that's not a bad thing, but they tend to be very not popular kids. And um, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're, you know, you kind of think of high school and you get to these, you know, uh, roles of a jock or a, a nerd or whatever. But these are sort of these loner kids. They're so, they just don't have some of the social skills to be able to interact well. They tend to be, um, they tend to be aggressive, tend to be withdrawn. They tend to have um, problems with self-control. So all of these things don't make them a great friend. And so people tend to, other kids tend to not to want to, to hang out with them. And they tend to, to kind of people that not really like them. They tend to have a lot of, uh, more tendency to have nightmares, tendency to be very anxious. Tend to, uh, compared to two parent households, they have lower grades. It may even need to repeat grades more often than, uh, than a uh, two parent household. Tend to have very poor social skills which affects their ability to complete school. As we know, I think I, I can speak for myself, and I'm, I bet this is not completely, I bet there's a lot of people's experience, excuse me. I didn't always like going to school, and I wasn't like saying, oh, I can't wait to learn about geology, and I can't wait to learn about algebra. But I sure wanted to go to school because I could hang out with my friends. Absolutely. And that was a motivating factor. And if you don't have any friends, or you have very few, going to school becomes more of a burden. And so they have this tendency to, to, to drop out. They themselves are more likely to become teen parents themselves. And this goes back to looking for a father. And we'll talk more about this in another question. But again, men and women kind of react differently to many of these things. But it's all sort of the same reason, which is this low self-esteem. I have a little something I wrote here that I didn't write it, but I'll, I'll read it. Both male, males and females, although differing, differing in their style of coping with father loss, experiencing, experience corresponding and interrelated struggles that underlie these effects, namely decreased self-esteem, fear of abandonment, and exaggerated fears of being alone, feeling shame, counterdependence, problems managing emotions, anger, having the need to control, and problems with trusting. That counterdependence, I actually hadn't heard that before, so I had to read that, look that up. And that is the, so if you think of dependence as, as a kid clinging to mom's leg and never wanting to leave, counterdependence is just the opposite. It is this desire to be completely in control of yourself all the time. So these are kids who are probably pushing any authority away. They want to be in control and do what they want to do. And so that's counterdependence. So those are a lot of the emotional effects. They're, they're, as, as the kids get older, we'll talk about how that starts to, to, to differ in, in men and women. And if I could real fast go back up to that, the cognitive. Oh, you got it. Yeah, go ahead. So some of these things are related to the emotional. Uh, kids for the fatherless home tend to be uh, poor, have poor academic accomplishments, tend to be more hostile towards peers, tend to be more dependent. And I have another little quote I wanted to read about dependency. And this is, I found a really nice, I'm getting some of this stuff from a really nice dissertation 
uh, that I found online. This was, if you don't know anything about dissertations, they're humongous. So this was a 302-page, <laughs> which I did not read, but it had a, probably about a 150-page literature review, which I, I did not read all of that. I wasn't that uh, that big on it, but I read what I needed to. And so, deprived from a stable relationship with a with a non-exploitative adult male who loves them, kids remain developmentally stuck, struggle with issues of security and trust that well-fathered, this is about girls, well-fathered girls have already successfully resolved. The self's voice, so that's your inner monologue, and these young women may remain fixed on the basic question, what do I need to do and what do I need to be to find a man who won't abandon me as the men in my life and in my mother's life have done? And so we'll talk a little bit more of that pretty soon here, but just as this, this fear and anxiety of abandonment is big on both for, for females and for male, males is a little different. Females have a tendency to what we call internalize. So they start to take on some of these issues as it's, it's their problem. They're the ones that they, they make this. It's hard to explain in a good way. They kind of, the problems that they're experiencing, they blame themselves for. Men tend to externalize, so they blame everything, everybody, everybody around them. They experience, show this uh, distress as behaviors, aggression, anger. Women tend to maybe withdraw more, mm-hmm. kind of blame themselves for it all. So, that's what, so I'm not sure how we got all there, but I hope that was What effects will those raised without fathers have on their future marriages? This could be another talk, too. But we <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is um, they're really going to have a hard time. And I, I hate to say that. And it kind of makes me sad to say that. But that's really the, the truth. First is if you have these these what I would call kind of wounded individuals who then try to marry. So they already have security attachment issues. People, you know, people in modern what people would say kind of colloquially is they have daddy issues. That's kind of, but even saying that kind of makes that seem like it's not that big of a deal. Just get over your daddy issues, and and it's not it's not so easy. And then you also have this idea of this identity crisis. They're not sure who they are. So you're bringing two people who don't know who they are together to try to form, you know, a marriage and and become one, and raise children, and it's, it's just going to be a struggle for them. One of the things that. Uh, men in particular with this identity crisis is they have a tendency to want to show they're anointed, that they're man enough. Um, and they really struggle with this identity of a husband due to not knowing really how to do it. They don't never really had a very good model. And so their idea of man enough is may not be what we really need a man to do as a husband and a father. And so this is where you might end up getting the idea that I just need to provide. And you, husbands absolutely do need to provide for their family. But that's not all they need to do. They need to provide more than just finances or a, or a house to live in. They, they need to be there emotionally for their wife and their children. And I think that's very difficult when you have all this emotional turmoil inside yourself. Um, women tend to be more dependent. And you can see this as what I saw in the literature as termed as a superwoman. So they tend to want to do it all. Um, and I'm, again, I'm painting with a very broad brush here. But uh, so they want to kind of do it all. They want to be able to you know, work a 50-hour job, raise their children, take care of everything as a way of controlling everything because if they do all of that, maybe my husband won't leave because in the end I have this fear that of abandonment. Or there's a tendency to then parent the man. And my bet is we all know a woman who seems to be highly functional 
who is either, you know, dating, engaged, married to a man who just seems almost to be like sucking off this woman and not really motivated to do anything. And they're letting the woman do everything. This man is just kind of there. But this becomes his parenting role. So the woman is kind of finding herself making up for that what she missed as a fatherhood by parenting this man. Women who come from a fatherless house are more likely to divorce. There's going to be trust issues. Um, you know, what if I wake up and the husband's gone? What if the husband's cheating on me and vice versa for the man? So these are these trust issues that pop up. And really, if you really think about it, if, if we form, we learn from watching and other people, we form these models of how marriage is supposed to be, and we never really saw that, we're going to have a poor model. There's going to be a lot of skills and things that are going to be missing that these people need. And they're really, and unfortunately, fatherless homes really set people up to fail. There's going to be a lot of work to maintain a healthy marriage for these people. And unfortunately, I have a feeling that a lot of them don't realize they are, they're having all these issues underneath the surface. Yeah. I'm going to add a spiritual touch to this too, Eric, and, mm-hmm. and, and, it's, and it's this. So one of the things we also know from those raised without fathers from a, from a spiritual perspective is that there is a wound left over about understanding the aspect of God as a father. And so the idea being that because I didn't have, or I had an absent father in my life, however that manifested itself, how can I truly know that this God who you are saying as a Catholic church is loving, all-knowing, and is a father to me? That God the Father is truly a father. Because in my life, uh, he was gone. Or in my life, he really, I mean, he was a father, but he was just a material giver. He wasn't a, a spiritual giver. So what happens then is that we bring that woundedness into our intimate relationships, whether we like it or not. And again, I'm using a pure spiritual context, which matches very well with what Eric was saying here, psychologically. And when you don't take time to investigate that, like you just said there on the spiritual realm too, you don't see, ooh, that's how I see God. So for instance, if, 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 you're, if you see God, the, if you see your own biological father, as someone that gets you things, then you're going to expect God the Father to get you things. Mm-hmm. So your prayer life turns into a, Lord, I want this, make it happen. Let's say your father is completely absent. Do you ever want to turn to the father? Probably not. <laughs> because, again, when you tried to, to as a kid, you were abandoned. Mm. And that's one of the spiritual wounds of abandonment that's huge right now is that when we're trying to help people in their spiritual life, it's hard for them to accept the loving father and his love for them because they were abandoned and it's too good to be true. Mm. There's a, there's a, there's an inter, there's an intercorrelation and they're very well related between some of the psychological benefits of fatherhood and the spiritual benefits of, of fatherhood. And again, as men, for all you male listeners out there, our duty is to help show the world the father's love. That's what it is. And the father's love is not all material. The father, father's love is not all, or you know, his father's love, the father's love isn't all absent. It's there, present, unconditional, and that's what you need to be doing. Without it, people get a bad interpretation of what God is. So, um, anyway, that's another connection there, folks, again, to, to connect on that. You may not be recognizing even in the spiritual life of how that may be affecting you. So, let's, let's go into this one here, Eric. How might those without fathers affect a person's sexuality? Sure. So, uh, this is where I talked about before. The men and women have, to, the the children have these 
various problems cognitively and emotionally. So when they become adults, those have con- continue to have consequences. And so for men, there's an increased risk of, of promiscuity of the sexual activity. And it, usually that stems from this kind of the bolster the sense of masculinity. And if really we look at, at our society, what, what is a man, what is a good man, a man that's ma- manly, well, that's someone that can have lots of sex with as many women as possible. I mean, that's kind of what our, our culture teaches us. And so if I'm, I don't know really what a man is supposed to do, well, I want to make sure I'm manly enough. Well, I'm just going to have as much sex as I can because that's what society tells us. But again, they're not doing this for intimate relationships. They're not looking for, for someone they could truly love. They're looking again to do this because it makes me feel manly. Men are more likely, because of that, are more likely to father children early. And they're also more likely to um, live them themselves to live outside the home. Because again, if you're trying to have as much sex as possible to prove your manhood, you're going to father children, and you're probably going to be, using today's terms, you're going to be a baby daddy to several women because they're going to end up getting pregnant. And that go- then it goes back to connects to that idea of how we got to out of wedlock births, which is this contraception, abortion. So it all very dovetails in together. But you see, and as you were talking before, George, I thought just how well, I almost wanted to use this word genius, which I don't know if that's appropriate or not. The devil is at twisting all of these truths Mm -hmm. to make it look like what we are going for is a real good. And in the moment, it might even look like that. But all these truths are just twisted up just enough that we can't see the can untwist the good and we think what we're doing is good which is that what satan is is doing to us sure and i think that is um and what we're falling for we can't blame it all on him we're falling for too and so i I think just that's what i saw for sure as i was reading some of the research on this just how well satan over time slowly has been able to twist all of this up sure it was all all tangled sure yeah yeah in college in particular and again, I remember, unfortunately, having people that had this conversation is that the, the quote unquote phrase, do you want to have a good time? Find the girl with daddy issues. That was a real thing <laughs> that people would do. And that goes to show again, I'm not, you know, I'm obviously not endorsing it. But folks, there's there's a thing where when the father's absent, there is a wound that is left, usually both psychological and spiritual. That is a process to get healed, but it's one that is well worth it. And for us men, what we can do better is to be good fathers in everything we do so that we can help, you know, the world see what that what that means. Here's an interesting one here. Can Eric, I real fast you, interrupt? Yeah. I just want to go with go that sexuality. I'll, I'll go through it quickly. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Right sorry. Go ahead. For women, uh, women tend to marry and bear children early. Uh, they tend to give birth before marriage. And they tend, just like men, to be have a lot seeking and doing a lot of promiscuity, but they're doing it not so much to feel manly, but to get male approval or to get protection or to find, and this is a way of, again, making up for that lost fatherhood. And there's also an increase of teen pregnancy. So that's, that's women. So again, we see how they have the same issues, as I said before, but they deviate in, in how they do it and why they do it. If there's anything, folks, to take away from this, there's a lot of things you can take away from this conversation, but one thing to never forget, because it happens, Absent fatherhood leaves you more vulnerable to sin, either you doing it or someone doing it to you. And so, again, just just keep in mind the importance of fatherhood in that sense. Interesting uh, art, article here. So article in the Epoch Times said that most mass shooters have an absent father. I will actually I will actually agree with that. Not only that article, yes, I've, I've seen that literature, too, from some of the justice literature out there in research. What is the impact on society from absent fatherhood, especially with 
crime and you've seen this quite i'm sure quite a bit even in your work right now sure yeah. what we see it uh with people who would uh, come from a fatherless home is an increase of aggression and you can see that from um childhood and it continues on men tend to have a higher usage of alcohol and drug use due to um, fatherless homes uh, infants and we're talking remember we're talking about attachment before infants who do not bond well with male adults at an early stage were more likely to develop antisocial behaviors. So commonly people say, oh, he's kind of antisocial, which means he doesn't like to socialize, he's an introvert. When in the psychology realm, when we talk about antisocial behaviors, we're talking about more criminal activity. Someone who um, doesn't really care about the norms of society will see people as more as tools to be used, tend not to have much of a conscience. Um, I mean, there's the jails are full of people like this, and 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 so there's something called antisocial personality disorder, where this kind of becomes who they are. This kind of criminal mindset, not really caring, has no empathy for other people, and it's not that they just don't. Sometimes it's that it is as an adult they don't care, but many times they just never learn how, um, because that's something you need to learn. There's tending to be uh, men tend to be from fatherless homes tend to be in trouble, juvenile delinquents from early on, and I kind of found this uh, men from fatherless homes, and this goes back to this identity idea, they feel like they're missing a piece of themselves. They tend to be more kind of aimless and unhappy, and they kind of strike out with this, what we call pathological behavior and violence. And so they, just like I said before, men tend to externalize. So they're, instead of women who are blaming themselves, men are blaming everybody else and lashing out at people because of it, because of this anger and this sadness that they have. Anything else on the relationship or the relation between absent fatherhood and crime, Eric, you got there? No, nothing more. I, th okay. I think it's just this idea that if you think of fathers as being the ones that help teach self-control and there's no father there, this is, this is going to happen. Sure. As a society and or a church, how do we help rebuild the family so we can keep fathers from being absent? I think the most important thing you can do is pray for all families. I think especially the intercession of, of St. Joseph. Uh, this is being the year of St. Joseph, and um, I can speak for myself. Tomorrow at Prince of Peace Parish, um, we're going to do as a, uh, the consecration to St. Joseph. Individually, we've all been preparing using the, the recent published book on the consecration of St. Joseph, and I can attest just by preparing and reading it and praying the litany, I have become a better husband and father, um, and uh, I'm kind of sad it's over, but luckily I can just do it again if I wanted to. But tomorrow we'll be making that consecration. I think that he is kind of like you said, George, if you're looking for a father and you, maybe you had a bad father, a father who didn't love you, wasn't there, St. Joseph can be that father, and he's a father that will always understand. He's a father that's, that is always there for you. And so I really cling to him or go to St. Joseph as, as a common saying. Yeah, Joseph, yes. Um, I think, and this is, I'm going to say for myself, and I, I have a feeling it may not, I may not be the only one. There's a tendency if you, especially I see a, if you go to mass and you see a, a, a tends to be a woman with a couple of kids, there's no ring on her finger, doesn't look like she's married. The kids may not totally look alike because they maybe have different fathers. There's a tendency that I have a look and I kind of just shake my head. Oh, man. And, and I think that's a kind of a judgment because, and I think if I was a woman, or a man that had all these kids, never married, and I walk into a Catholic church with all these families, supposedly happy families, that would be very intimidating. I don't know if I would want to go there. And I think we as a church have to be willing to knock that off 
And we have to yes. be able to embrace yes. them and bring them and, and encounter them as Pope Francis has always spoken to us about and, and hear their story. In the end, these are hurting people that, that really need the church's healing. Um, I, I think we can continue with like Big Brothers, Big Sisters to try to, that's a great program. Um, I used to support it a lot when at High Plains Mental Health Center and I've seen the difference that can make. I haven't even think like support groups, the church could run it, cities could run it, mental yeah. health centers could run it yeah. for people of fatherless homes that can share their examples and, and talk oh. things out with people. As, as this group of really falling through the cracks of these people, that we get, they get diagnosed as depression or anxiety, antisocial behaviors, okay. but I don't think the root cause of that is getting realized and there's a very specific way specific things that are happening to cause all those things. Yes. Um, I, again, encouraging mental help for those of fatherless children and adults. I think working in poverty is a huge thing. Kids from single parents tend to be in poverty. And so giving to food banks, Catholic charities, helping and in, in, in that you know, the material, I think we have to raise more awareness of the problem and how it's affecting society and the church. I think people just kind of want to, like you were saying before, just kind of keep their eyes closed to it or give in to the kind of what I would call this radical feminist rhetoric that fathers don't really matter or women can do everything and they can do a lot, probably more than we maybe are, have let them in the past, but they can't be a father. I think we have to push for family-friendly government policies. Um, you know, there's a ton of these marriage penalty taxes in our tax code that kind of punish you for being married. You can interpret it that way. That's how I interpret it. Um <laughs> That makes no sense to me because you want to do the best you can to encourage marriage and a healthy society and country is going to be full of happy and healthy marriages. And so those policies of, you know, getting rid of abortion, getting contraception out of there, you know, positive tax policies. I mean, there's over and over again, we can see different things. A little bit note, I know we're running out of time. Um, a lot of people say, well, it's because uh, government gives, you know, welfare checks why people want to have more kids. And that research doesn't really bear that out. Correct. This was happening, that this is more of a newer thing where you get all this money for, for having more kids. But fatherlessness was increasing before that was even happening. And so that is, that could be a small percentage, but it's very little. And I think we have to continue as a church to um, maybe even having witnesses in the church talk about their experiences. And so we can understand what, what it's like for them to realize this is the problem and, and maybe how they overcame it. And lastly, I think we have to do much more in our church uh, to prepare for marriage um, and um, marriage encounters. And I can never pronounce this properly, but is retro volley, which is the um, marriages that are having real severe problems is okay. a, a great ministry. And I think we, for rightfully so, we focus a lot on priestly and religious vocations and rightfully so we need priests. We need religious sisters badly, but I think in, in doing that, we've kind of lost the vocation of marriage and, and preparing for that and the importance of that in some ways. And I think that really the church can can do both very well. You bet. Eric, I got to let you go. Thank you so much for You're coming very in. welcome. Thanks for tuning in to this week's One Body Stewarding God's Creation show. If you can help keep this show on the air, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. Your donation will be greatly appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 101.7 KJDM Lindsberg Salina, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. 
If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. One body, stewarding God's creation.